Welcome to Science in Between, season episode. one, episode six. 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 We we made it this far. Woo. They, know, they said it wasn't. Goal is double digits. They said it never lasts, and here we they are. Did. Ah. It was going to be three episodes and out, but no, here we are. Six. Woo. Six. This is Ollie. And this is Scott. Yeah. And uh, science in between. So this week, uh, curricular continuity. That's curricular the top. Continuity. Curricular yeah. Continuity. Which is rolls right off the tongue. It does. So we're just going to say that once because both of us will just like stammer through it over and over again. Alliteration. So, so why, why is that a topic for us today? Uh, are you asking me, me or are you asking me? I am, I am. a question that you're asking mm, the universe and then you're going to answer. Well, yes. Why is that? Mm. So, mm. Kids, have you ever wondered? <laughs> Just like no. that. No, no, I never have. Actually. Never have. No. Yeah, that's actually one of my pet peeves when presenters do that, when they ask themselves yeah. questions. So is that important? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. yes it is. Yes, it so is. You were actually asking me what, why we're talking about. Curriculum. I was. I was actually okay. asking you. Why, why do we so, choose that as this week's topic? So we're, ta- we're talking about curricular continuity for, for at least two reasons that I can think of. And it's sure. those two things with me. So the, so the first one is we're in a time when um, there is absolutely no continuity in any way, shape or form in schools. Like we don't know what schedules look like. Schedules are all over the map. Like, so you may have kids this day and not that day. You have them half remote. Sometimes that, you know, sometimes you only have their sister and you don't actually get to see them. So you have to tell the sister what to tell them. And, you know, so there's no continuity in schools right now. It's total mayhem. And teachers are trying to figure out like, what do I do with, you know, I see kids two days a week and, and then, and the other reason, the second thing, and then you can second do, thing. do yours. The, the second thing with me is that I think there's also something that I'm interested in talking about in this issue is we have a longstanding, I think, over obsession with continuity. Um, and this comes from lots of places. I blame currently uh, at least in part, uh, Charlotte Danielson and that framework in which in fairness, I think she didn't mean it this way, but it's been taken. It's been taken that way. Yeah. In a way where every lesson sort of is its own little beast, um, which leads to all sorts of continuity issues. So I guess those are, those are the sort of non COVID and COVID related reasons that we're talking about curriculum continuity from my point of view. What about you? Well, there's definitely this, this, we're in the era probably for about the last decade and a half of standardization. Right. We're, we're trying to standardize as much as possible, which is which is really interesting because, you know, there's this, you know, we want to provide this consistency, the standardization of what we're providing students and where where we're expecting students to get to the similar finish lines and all that. But at the same time, one of those large conversations is the idea of individuality, right, that students our students are coming and they have their own strengths and, and individual needs and growth mindset and all that. Mm-hmm. Like those two things are are absolutely competing with each other. And I will tell you, I talk to teachers and and they're panicked by this, this whole concept of, well, how do I get my classes to be in the same place at the same time, like at the end of the week or at the end of the marking period or, and that is where that, that's what, what this episode was born out of is some of that stress mm-hmm. that I know teachers, including you and I, like you, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're stressed a little bit too. Like, how do we, yeah. how do we get to the same place? Or, you know, I have one class that's meeting Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I have another class that's meeting this, like, how do we get those classes to be the same place? And, and so one, one take we have is just let that go let it go just mm-hmm. just let it go just you know because yeah. there's i mean 
granted, we want to try to get them if if you're in one of those subjects that has some sort of standardized test from you know the state or from a district, you know, some common assessment. Right. You, you know, right. You have a shared assessment for your shared course. assessment. That those are things that you know you're going to have to be thoughtful of and and keep that in in mind. But those, I, I think we can put it in context with this. Like, hey, this class was only meeting asynchronously while this class was meeting you know remotely through this and other classes i mean all of that is going to impact context matters right context absolutely Mm. matters and i think that's one of those big Mm. takeaways as i've i've you know gotten older and more experienced as a teacher i realized that those contexts of you know teaching classes in the morning versus teaching classes in the afternoon or teaching classes before lunch and teaching classes after lunch you know we know those all those things have you know maybe micro impacts or macro impacts but they have impacts and so mm-hmm. all of this matters and all of these contextual things that were you know were sort of responding to the, the COVID pandemic crisis and right. you know, the, all those things are going to play an impact. So the, 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 you can keep yourself up at night by panicking about the curricular continuity, um, but just let some of that go. Yeah. Um, so there's that, that's the existential, you know, let it go. But yeah. I think, well, I think it's a, I think the way to frame that too, the way you're th- talking about it is this is a problem tunity, right? It, which is to say, I love COVID that. Is, yeah. create, I love it. COVID has created this really bad circumstance but it can be an opportunity for you to free yourself and try something and experiment a little with what it means to not have closure on every lesson and, and think about continuity on different grain sizes like you're talking about, right? Like, right. Do, you, do you have to wind up the week? What, like, what's an appropriate grain size? How do you think about that? What does it mean to think of your class as a community of learners that are working together to, to engage with some problems rather than a group of individuals who you're all trying to get to the same benchmark in some specific way. So I think there are ways to reframe this to really um, move beyond uh, things that we've been trapped in that maybe have, have gotten jiggled loose, at least in part because, because of this new way that schools are going to get operated. I, I think that, while my my approach, my rationale may be philosophical, it may not actually be practical, right? It's mm. it's like, well, you know, give it give it up, don't worry mm. about it, right? But yes, you know, that's a very that's a very Ollie thing. Just so it is. people at home know the uh, let the universe decide for you. So sure, yeah, it is yeah. that the fatalist in me. Yes. Um, but that I think practically, we we want to at least unpack some ideas. Uh, for how to maybe do that and try to provide some continuity in it. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you're unable to give it up, so you're in a school system in which um, maybe your administrator, a principal or, you know, department chair or whatever is saying to you, hey, no, you have to make sure that your kids at the end of, you know, I I know some teachers who are handing in lesson plans or handing in you know, sort of those check boxes of what the students are doing. So to make sure that period one and period three and period one synchronous stu- students are getting the same thing as period one asynchronous students. And so that sort of like documentation, I think is the thing that is even, you know, propelling this a little further uh, sure. in terms of the stress that they're experiencing. So going back to a couple of days ago or a couple of episodes ago, sorry, is the, mm-hmm. the, these ideas, these shared notebooks, right? Those mm-hmm. shared artifacts. And if we have students who are in different places, that they can share some sort of artifact that lives across those things that might be, you know, that might be helpful in providing some continuity since students are kind of communicating students who might be in one form of instruction, one 
you know, type of instruction could communicate to students in another. So there's that yeah. shared, shared artifact, shared notebook. I called it I, on a blog, the study buddies, not that the notebook yeah. buddies, sorry. Notebook yeah. buddies, study yeah. buddies. Study buddies is nice, it rhymes. Sure, study buddies. Sure. Uh, you, study you, like, buddy. you like the rhyme? No, I, do, I don't. I don't really, actually. I prefer the non-rhyming, but okay. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the to, I, I, I agree that that's a, that's a tech, or a, a tool, right? That could be really useful, this idea of a study buddy notebook. Um, and to scale that up, the other thing that we were talking about in the in that conversation was, you know, we, we have this obsession too in our schools of thinking about our classes as sort of independent units, right? It's like first period yeah. is first period, third period is third period. And that's very arbitrary, right? That we divide kids up that way. And a lot of it has to do with how many kids we, you know, and we're going to talk about this at some point because we're going to talk about the class though, Joe. But this idea of like, what is, we keep teasing it. I just keep I know. teasing So, you know, a lot of that was like, how many kids can I control at any given time, right? Yeah. And so I can't control 150 kids in my class who are seventh graders. Like, you, so you can't give me a class of 150. So you got to give me a class of 30 or a class of 25 or whatever. Like, you've got to give me a smaller number of kids because I can control them, right? But I think ste stepping back from that and starting to think about both all of the students that you teach and maybe all the students that are taught in your subject area. So if you're a chemistry teacher or whatever, starting to try to think about them as a community, I think really interesting things unfold. So, so the thing that you've suggested about, or that we've talked about with these notebooks, right? That this idea that like Ollie and I are in different sections, Ollie's, you know, in the AB section, I'm in the CD section or whatever, but we have a shared notebook. And so when I'm in lab, I put my stuff in there. And when Ollie's in lab, he puts his stuff in there and then we can work together. I mean, other ways to think about that is, um, can you have, you know, basically almost like little research teams. So you have different groups of kids who are investigating different parts of something. Like you have a bigger phenomenon that you're investigating, which is how we, you know, think about ambitious science teaching, right? Is you're investigating phenomenon. And then like this group is investigating this thing. Yeah. And, and then you're sharing data across and, and the order of those things can be switched because the order doesn't matter. I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things that we've seen out of ambitious science teaching too, the work that I do in particular with this middle school group here at Park Forest is, you know, they, they're very, they recognize that you can be responsive just in terms of organizing which of those activities comes in which order based on kids' interests. Well, why not scale that out and say, okay, well, we've got these kids and we're going to send them off on their investigation and these kids are in their investigation. And so these two groups have to talk to each other, but not in the same way. They don't have to be in the same room listening to you tell them something all the time. Yeah, I think that's a, you're, you call it a problem-tunity, is that what you problem said? Problem-tunity, yeah. yeah. But I think it's, it's giving us new ways to look at how we teach and how we structure time and how we structure a school day and and learning cycles like how we like because we have these packets right these little packets of time but you know and we try to have some sort of linearity to that right this happens before this which happens before this and that may mix some of that up right it might mm -hmm. give us the opportunity to do things in different orders or you know one student is experiencing you know some activity or some video or some you know simulation or some lab you know, at one point mm -hmm. that might act differently in a learning cycle for that student or that group of students than it might act for a different group of students. And so, right. you know, rather than viewing it as, okay, 
we're going to go through progress A to B to C to D in sort of this, you know, this unit that mm -hmm. designing a unit maybe in a little more freeform way so that students still navigate those experiences in a way that still builds to the same understanding, but maybe in a less continuous or linear way still gets yeah. us to, I mean, I think it still needs, requires that you do some, some really thoughtful instructional planning, um, but the how the students make sense of it like I, there have been some classes that i've taught at the at, at the uh, undergraduate level where i just call them like knowledge dumps i'm like okay mm -hmm. here's something for you here's something mm -hmm. else for you and i just kind of drop them the information that I, and i'm requiring the students to make sense of those pieces together and and i know that's something i can pull off with you know undergrads that i can't pull off with like sixth graders mm -hmm. um but you know, maybe some elements of that is something you could do. Like, here's, here's this idea. How does this fit? You know, right. how does this fit together with the, the other things that we're doing? Yeah, and I think part of that is, um, you know, one, one of the things that happens in science is there's always this conversation about what's the purpose of a lab. So is a lab designed to confirm information that kids have already learned? Or is the lab designed to have them explore a phenomenon they don't understand? So that then as they learn stuff, they can apply it back to this thing, right? So there's always this like, does if it's in the beginning, then usually it's talked about instead of as a lab as a demo, right? Like, right. we're gonna do a demonstration. We're gonna show kids this thing. You, you talked about the sort of discrepant event pedagogy in, in yeah. the pre-show, right? Right. Um, so that idea that like, I'm going to show them something and then we're going to work on explaining it. But I think um, the thing that I think is really interesting, so I can be pretty concrete about this with like the park forest curriculum and I'll, I'll give an example, right? So, so they have their opening phenomenon um, from one of their years is they do the happy sad ball, which are, these are two identical balls uh, looking identical looking balls that are made out of separate uh, different materials they're both look like black rubber balls and you drop them from a height and one bounces and one just thunks and doesn't bounce right so this is a happy sad ball so the so the question is like explain why these balls behave the way they do and so it's it's essentially a unit about energy but it's driven by this opening thing but then the the unit itself is built out of a bunch of pieces that i think are are really modular so i'll give you some examples of what the pieces are so one one piece is using uh different balls so you have like a steel ball and a um steel and brass and maybe there's a third one i'm trying to remember and and you have a pipe a plastic pvc pipe and a piece of styrofoam and you put a nail in the styrofoam, you put the pipe over the, the nail and then there are holes in the pipe that let you put a pencil through it. And so you can set the ball at different heights. It's, it's drilled at 10 centimeter heights. And so you can put the ball at all different heights. You pull out the pencil, the ball goes down and drives the nail. You measure sure. how much it drives the nail, blah, 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 right? So, so if this was the olden times, we would say that this is sort of a potential to kinetic energy sort of lab, right? It's trying sure. to, and helping them understand what are the variables that control potential energy, that it's height and mass. It's not just height or whatever, right? Or how heavy the thing is. So that's one activity that helps them understand one piece of this explanation of why the happy sad ball bounces. But then there's, there's another activity that has to do with sound. And there's another activity that has to do with high speed video of the two balls bouncing to see which one compresses more than the other. And then there's one that's um, where instead of um, driving the nail with the dropping ball, you're, you've built this little rig where you pull back a meter stick that is sort of like a slingshot 
so there's rubber bands on the meter stick and then you let it go and the meter stick drives and so that gives you elastic potential energy so you you but all of these individual pieces don't have to be in a sequence that was you my question one that, group, yeah that, that was right. gonna be my so question one, right right so the one group investigates the elastic potential energy one is investigating the sound one is investigating the elasticity of the balls and one is doing the the you know the potential energy piece and and all kids will eventually do all the pieces but they don't have to do them all at the same time and they can they can do them in a modular way and then at the end you're collecting all this knowledge into this final explanation so i think that's that's a way to start thinking about deconstructing our science classrooms in in a way in this context see i think when i when i hear that i i i go that's a really good example of how it can uh, provide some sort of, you know, freedom in terms of non-linearity, right? You could do things in, in right. out of order and still get the students to kind of the same place and still provide some sort of consistency and continuity where, where there still is a bit of individuality in terms of how individual classes are, you know, tackling or encountering the content. Um, but I will say one of the fears that I have is something I, I, I came across in a a tweet that I think somebody did yesterday. Some one of the folks I I, I follow, whose uh, his son is I think a seventh grader, and posted that I think they're doing all remote, so in Zoom all day. And was my son spent seven hours in Zoom today, and it was and spent three minutes in in a uh, a breakout room. And so out of the seven hours that they had spent on Zoom, there was probably like three minutes that they got to interact with peers. And mm -hmm. so my greatest fear with, with this move to remote or partial remote, partial, you know, these hybrid approaches is that what we hear is more of the teacher's voice and less of the student's voice. And I think all of those examples you show are ones that is critical for the students to work through that stuff because mm -hmm. it's that, you know, that meaning making that they're, because it, you know, and I can see a teacher who, if I was teaching this remotely, if I was teaching science or physics or that concept, that's a demonstration you can still do. It might not be something that you do in a, you know, they can't do at home probably, or maybe to a degree they could do it at home. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something you can show them a demonstration of that and then say, okay, I want you to break out into groups and send them off with a CSV file if you're doing that episode mm -hmm. right here. Mm -hmm. right, there you go. Comma um, separated value. Comma yeah, separated value. In the show notes. Um, yeah. The, uh, but if they're, you're sending them to breakout rooms to give them the opportunity to talk about it and giving them like a set of prompts of like, here's what you do. So you could still do some sort of authentic science experiences, something that still builds understanding through, you know, they're constructing their understanding through group meaning making, which is really good science mm -hmm. stuff without it necessarily being, you know, you, cause I, I, my greatest fear is that we move to teacher directed instruction that that's sure. where, that's where well, we move to it. You make it sound like we're not there already, but okay. Right. But so, this, yeah. but it, it's, it's the, it's the way of, okay, I, I'm trying to provide this cur curricular continuity. There we said it again, curricular mm -hmm. continuity. And the way I'm going to do that is, I'm going to take all the control as a teacher and just run through my PowerPoints or record, you know, 25 videos for my students to walk through this week. Each one of those are 30 minutes long, no breaks, no questions, just information, information, information. Right. And, and that is not what we're proposing at all. That is. No. 
Yeah. Well, and it goes back to the, what we've talked about a couple times in some of our, what do we call them, esoteric episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is that we, we are, all of our comments, all of the way that we think about this is framed in a fundamentally different theory of learning than traditional schooling is based on, right? So traditional schooling is based on this idea that the important thing is for me to transmit the information I have to my students and my students to receive it with the highest degree of fidelity as possible and then repeat it back to me so that I know that they've received it. It's, it's, it's a transmission model, right? I mean, that is fundamentally what it is. And we are, we are absolutely not interested in that. We are interested in education as a relational model where yes. it's about interacting with people. It's about building things together. It's about a community. It's about, it's about co-construction of knowledge. And that happens socially. That doesn't happen um, through me listening to a lecture. So yeah, your, your caveat's really important. Um, but, yeah. but the other thing I wanna say about that is um, that the nice thing about this sort of modularity of this thing that I've described is oftentimes the teachers already have those labs. They know those yes. labs and they're in the unit. It's just thinking about them differently. Instead of thinking about them as having to be a sequence, it's starting to think about them as being components that can be organized differently and you can still even maybe get to the same end product if that's your goal. But the purpose is changed because now these, these things don't have to come in a set order. They just are understood differently. So a kid who has lab A towards the end instead of towards the beginning is going to think about it differently because he or she is going to have a whole bunch of context to put that lab into by the time they get to it. And the reverse is true for that other lab that they got at the beginning. They have less but that doesn't mean that they don't understand the same things in the end. It means the, the pathway to that is, is just different. So I, I, as you were talking about this, a word came to my head that I don't know if it, it fits, but maybe transportable. Are these experiences transportable, that they're transportable in a unit so that they can be moved around, like so that the students yeah. can navigate those in different ways depending on whether they're, you know, meeting Monday, Tuesday versus Wednesday, Thursday or whatever the wild structures that we have some schools are, are adopting. And those are like the, the, the schedules right now, the schedules, you know, right. a couple of weeks from now, who knows what that's going to look like. All of this is, you know, week by week. And, and so that's creating another challenge for teachers, right? Another challenge for, for schools is, you know, we're constantly in reactive mode instead of proactive. And we have a lot of teachers who'd like to be in that proactive planning. You know, I have some, I worked with a teacher who would have the entire year planned out on the first day of school. And I was like, why, how can you do that? Well, I need to know where the students are going. And that's, and that's great. I could never do that. I was like, okay, I got a week, a couple days. You know, no, I want to be, I mean, I want to be clear. I don't think that's great. Actually. I think, that's uh, uh, I think like, oops, sorry. I just went all blurry. Um, I like, I don't know how you can argue. I mean, I don't know. There's, I, I guess there's a fine line. Planning is super important, and I don't want to dismiss planning as an important task that teachers have to engage in. And it's how you treat your plan after that that really matters, right? So if you see your plan as sacrosanct and it cannot be ch cannot be changed, I've developed my plan. This is the plan. Like I I don't know how you argue that. I mean, it certainly isn't responsive. I'm I don't think, frankly, it's even ethical um, to say like essentially I don't care who the kids are. 
I'm going to present this PowerPoint lesson on this day because that's the day it has to be. Yeah. I always teach yeah. that on August yeah. 17th or whatever. Right. Right. You know, it's a, I mean, it varies from year to year, but it's in a seven year cycle. Sure. But yeah, so fine. Um, yeah. So I think that's. No, I, I agree with you. And that, and that was something I could never embrace. I could never, and it, I think more than more than like planning out the year, I think that one of the things, and, and this is from our conversations, me, you know, working with you is knowing the overall story, right? Knowing the overall story. I think that's probably more important than the continuity. I think maybe that's the continuity that we want to push for is making sure that we tell the story, whatever the story of the academic year or the subject is, and making sure that the same characters are appearing the ones that are really important, the big concepts, mm -hmm. the big ideas, making sure that the, the, cause like, you know, there's lots of times where you'll see a movie, you know, on, on TV that you saw in a theater and they cut some things and they're mm -hmm. like, well, maybe, you know, it's like that thing at the beginning, you know, this, this movie was edited for the format. Yeah, and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, they, they cut this whole scene out. Well, then you realize that scene probably wasn't the overarching story of the movie. It probably wasn't that critical. I mean, it was, mm -hmm was great for the movie yeah. but then when you watch it on on or maybe they change some of the dialogue for whatever reason um but they that maybe the, the that changing of the dialogue or changing how that a character is presented and you know you and i are you know with comic books have been another theme through all these we read right. the, or you know a book versus a movie right like you see the book or the and then it's converted into a tv show but i think maybe that's the continuity that you we want to embrace is that Rather than saying we're going to make sure all our students are having the same experience every day is making sure like look at the, the, the grain size, the grain size. If we're looking at a, great, a larger grain size and saying, mm -hmm. are the stories that we're telling our students about the subject are they, are, uh, or the stories that our student, students are experiencing about the subject, are they the same? Are they seeing mm -hmm. the same characters? Are they seeing the same relationships? Are they building the same understanding on the, on the bigger scale um, rather than are they having the same experience in period one that they're having day, in period day two, to day day to day and yeah. and that i think is is i think a little bit easier to negotiate and easier yeah, for you i mean to to take a an old metaphor or analogy or joke and sort of re one of those tool it it's one of those things so there's the old you know story about like the five blind men who encounter an elephant and then try to describe it right so, but to, to take that and, and take a positive spin on that and to say, what we really have is we have an elephant. That's our big idea. We want kids to understand it. And they, no matter how we organize the curriculum, they never understand the whole elephant once. That's just not the way it works, right? Like you, 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 you do some sort of sequencing. So what we're saying is, it doesn't matter if one kid starts at the tail and one kid starts at the trunk and one kid starts at the leg and one kid starts at the ear. And then over time they talk to each other and get a sense of what the whole elephant's about. Right. But because that's, that is, that is a much more sane way to think about what we're trying to accomplish here. Instead of saying, well, look, if they don't get the tail first, they're never going to understand the elephant. It's like, well, that's insane. Like you can, you don't have to start with the tail. Like people make that argument in math and I'm not going to get into math. Math is its own thing, but there's, but there's a push there's, in science too. Uh, I'll push back on that just a little bit. Right. Cause there's these, there's a big movement around these learning progressions, right. Where they're talking about 
but that's within a big idea and that's not the same thing and i all right because i do learning progressions research so if you that add that to the list we're putting that on the list all right learning we'll put it on the list all right learning progressions like but but i think what we don't do i don't think in science is say and and you know this because you taught in a physics first school right so i did yeah. So like traditionally physics is at the end of the curriculum because why? Because well, committee of 10, 10, we talked about that, but you know, the argument that's developed over time is, Oh, that's more sophisticated requires calculus to really understand it. Blah, blah, blah. There's all this bullshit reason. Excuse me. Now we have to make the podcast <laughs> explicit. There's all these reasons why the physics has to go last and that's insane, right? There's nothing inherent inherent to that. And I think this is true about so much of science. Like science is largely inductive, right? Like we're, we're making observations about the world and trying to generalize from that. And those patterns that we develop are constantly under negotiation. So thinking that there's a, a logical sequence to them that always has to be correct is, is crazy. So I think we just have to um, step back from that and say, we're trying to accomplish these big ideas, but the big ideas have lots of components and there's lots of points of entry and there's lots of pathways and, and territory that can be negotiated to find, to help kids understand those big ideas. Yeah, so the, the big idea, I guess, that we're trying to share is continuity is important, providing some sort of curricular continuity, but it's not the end all be all. I mean, we know that there's some, you know, some administrators who want to make sure that, that we're providing some sort of standardized experience for our students, but that standardization can be viewed from a bunch of different perspectives. From a science point of view, is, is the, the story, the mm -hmm. overarching story, is that standardized to a degree where they're, they're getting the sense of, you know, the big players and the overarching narrative within that, that content. Um, not necessarily are they experiencing the same experience on the same days. And, mm -hmm. you know, those are, those are things that are, aren't as critical. Um, maybe having similar experiences, but maybe, and I'll throw out that transportability co concept again, is that maybe these, these experiences that students have are transportable within a unit. Maybe some of those students can uh, tackle one experience on day one while other students are experiencing that same thing, you know, day four within a right. unit. And, and so giving that sort of, you know, sort of embracing that might be freeing, might be yeah. liberating. Well, and it, and it gets at some other, like, you know, back to this idea of like the purpose of, of science classrooms should be for kids to talk about their ideas and make right. those ideas more robust. Well, if, if you and I are investigating different things and we're talking back and forth about that, that's a very different dynamic now between us because you're talking about something that I didn't experience. And so I, so yeah, not, that's that'd be, not useful. That would be actually kind of cool. That would actually be kind of cool to like structure. So, Hey, you know, like That's what I'm saying, I was telling, I, right. Exactly. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, it's okay. But that, but that's the point, right? Is that now Ollie did the one activity and I did this other activity and now we're talking about it. And then, then the question becomes, well, how do these things connect to each other and sure. why are we doing them within this unit? That's about something that we think is not connected. Yeah. So now it forces the conversation of like, Oh, why does dropping a ball have anything to do with like this slingshotting of a, of a, uh, of, of a meter stick? Like those things feel like they're very different, but they're, but we're both investigating those things. So can we figure out what's, what's the common thread here? So I think yes. it really opens up great possibilities. Yeah, and that's and that's what I, I think is cool about that is you know I was thinking about this so that 
in the order of how students experience this, but I didn't really think about students having completely different experiences and then using some of the, the, the class time that they may be meeting in like Zoom or in a face-to-face -face classroom that they actually assemble the experiences of like, okay, I did this and this is the thing I learned. And then you're talking to you know, a classmate and I did this and I, I learned this. Okay, well, how these two discrete experiences, which aren't the same, and the student A is having one experience and student B is having a different experience and how they meaning make those together and sort of like how that builds to the bigger picture. That is, that is really cool stuff. And I can see mm -hmm. that. And that's again, comes back to that problem tunity thing is that mm -hmm. that might be something that might be harder to do if all of the students were in the class at the same time. Cause what we want to do is maybe like some sort of station rotation. Okay. You're going right. to do this. Then you're going to do this. You're going to do this and then cycle through. So everybody gets the same experiences because you know, when Bobby at station one going over and saying, well, Sally's not doing the same thing I'm doing. Why are they, why are we not? Uh, but yeah, right. Exactly. We don't want Bobby and Sally doing that. That's bad. Right. But no. right. Cause that oh, all chaos. Cause it comes Bobby back to and con Sally. control, control, control. It it's about control. And yes. which is, which is the rabbit hole I went down last, last episode. Right. You keep and trying to pull us down that rabbit hole. You started it today. You oh. did. Oh, you I did. Just, I just, I just, I just gave us a taste of the upcoming episode about uh, class dojo, which we'll keep teasing and never actually talk about it. We'll yeah, wait. it's never going to happen. It's like episode two hundred. We'll still be joking about it. Yeah, yeah. remember we're going to talk about class dojo that, if we ever get there. They're going to like yeah. kick us off of, you know, off no, of all of the podcast apps. Class dojo will have gone under, and we'll have to talk about some other right. new app that is. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I, I will say this, that what, where this came from was, I, you know, you and I both have probably talked to teachers who are really struggling right now. Yeah. And, and if you're one of those teachers, if you're listening, you know, keep your head up. You know, this is, this episode is trying to, you know, maybe, you know, calm some of your fears, trying to, you know, renegotiate some of this stuff so that you can, you know, think about this in a little differently, but maybe providing some ideas for you about how you can organize and plan your content to, to free up some, you know, different ways of looking at it. And I think I love that problem tunity. I love it. I think it's the, a really great way of viewing this is it, these aren't ideal settings, but they might give us some I, opportunities to be innovative in how we, we approach teaching and how we approach learning with our students. And, yeah. and if you approach it that way, rather than, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna create a billion PowerPoints and just, you know, muscle through yeah. them. That's, I think that's the, the thing we, we want to make sure you're not doing, right? Because yeah. that is, that's, yeah. Well, it's lowest common denominator teaching and it, and, and it does bad things for everybody, right? Like it, the kids, kids are gonna be miserable and bored out of their minds because it, it was bad enough when that was happening in class where they could like maybe hang out with their friends and right. like pass notes or whatever it is. Kid, but kids don't pass notes anymore. They probably just text each other, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, they, they class dojo message. Each other. <laughs> um, so, uh, so they're, you know, but, but it also, it, it's going to be unpleasant for the teacher. Like it, that's not a good experience, like getting on zoom and just running through your PowerPoints and then saying, you know, I've uploaded a, um, you know, a worksheet into canvas, go download it and fill it out and repost it when you filled it out or download it and fill it in during the lecture. Cause it's one of those like fill in the blank note things that get, you know, get described as supporting student learning. Like 
it, it's insane. Yeah. Like that's going to kill everyone. It's nobody wants that. And so the question it, is, it's going to be isolating too. Right. Oh God. Yeah. Oh. And that's, I, and that's the thing. Uh, this is the show before the show we we're talking about, yeah. you know, the technology that we're, we're experiencing right now, that technology isn't bringing us together as much as it's isolating some of us. And, mm-hmm. and that's what we're seeing right now is coming back to that, you know, person who tweeted is like, yeah, their student, their child went through seven hours of zoom, but they weren't really interacting probably with very many people. They were sitting there passively, which is not what we want. That's an isolating joyless experience for everybody. Yeah. Well, and it can't last, right? It, no. You cannot, it will not survive. Like we won't make it till Christmas sitting middle school kids in front of a laptop seven hours a day. Like they will absolutely right. lose their freaking minds. Just, and, and, you know, it's, I, I don't know what will go wrong, like what will happen, what they will do, but it will not be good. It, it, it no. can't be good because it's, you know, again, it's bad enough when they're bored in a room with a bunch of their friends where they know if they can just make it to lunch, they can at least have a conversation with their friends about it. But, you know, what are they going to do? Like they get off seven hours of Zoom middle school and then they Zoom with their friends to talk about it. It's like, they're not going to do that. They're, they're just, you know, they're going to be Zoom, they're going to be doing their messaging or whatever they're doing. They're going to do it all then, you know, in the background. I mean, this is the thing, right? Like we worry about like professors, laptops down. Everybody put your lids down because I want your eyes on me. It's like, okay, try that now, right? Like I could, my hands are below the the camera, right? So I could be playing a game on my phone right now or probably not now, but when you're talking, I'm playing a game on my phone. (laughs) I I could be, sorry. No, I could be. Sure, I hear you. I hear you. I'm not, of course. I have never, I have never been in a meeting. I would never do that. I was never in, I've never been in a meeting where I was playing games with some of the other people in the meeting. That's never happened. Never happened. Never, never snarky texting with your colleagues while you're in a meeting with them. Subtweeting. Never subtweeting. Never subtweeting. No, No. not at all. No, so, so I'm sure middle school students who are much more mature than the average faculty member will absolutely be um, fully attentive to your 45 minute lecture on, uh, on mitochondria and the, the worksheet that you give them afterwards. So yeah, come on. Well, I, I, I think one of the things that I teach my students, like my, when I, in my, the teachers who are going to, the students who are going to be future teachers, right? Is that I, I tell them when we talk about classroom management, uh, that most of it comes down to just planning lessons that involve students and engage students and give them a voice. And that, yeah. and when you create lessons like that, especially in science, where they're sharing ideas, they're you know problem solving, where they're wrestling or grappling with the big ideas, that you have to spend less time worrying about you know control and yeah. and management because the students. But it's when the when those things when you're trying to you know, just be the transmission model, right? Where I'm going to stand there and deliver my content. And those are the ones where control and management become bigger issues because the students are just, just bored. They're just bored and not involved. And it goes back to that, that point about like transmission versus relational, right? Like if you have relationships with your kids, if they know who you are, if they know that you know who they are, that, that, this like and you can't do that 
doing PowerPoint. Like there's just no way, like yeah. you're not going to get to know your kids. So the way you get to know your kids is talking with your kids and letting your kids talk to each other in front of you while you listen, which is what a lot of teaching often is too. Good teaching is, is listening to kids talk to each other and you're listening to them talk. Right? So this idea that like, that's what is, what a great teacher is, is somebody who can be in a room with a lot of kids and know a lot about their kids, right? Develop that relationship and use that as a context in which to do exactly what you're describing, right? Like Dewey talks about it as perplexity, this yep. sense of like, I don't know, but I'm really interested to know. Well, you can't create that by lecturing to somebody because you're telling it's you're telling them your story. They're not developing their own story. And so so it's only by creating an opportunity where kids can talk through their own ideas and create their own story and their own explanation that you create a classroom that kids really are engaged. And I hate that word because it gets, it gets misused, especially right. when it comes to technology. But if we're talking about real engagement, real intellectual engagement and perplexity, like John Dewey would talk about, that's what we're talking about. That should be a, a, uh, a future podcast episode, engagement versus entertainment. Oh. That's it. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't think folks could see that because it's no. a podcast and it's audio. That's true. Uh, well, right we now, haven't decided. It could be video. It could be. Oh, gosh. They don't need to see that. Um, no. Scott right now just made this exploding. Like pu puke in my mouth puke. face. <laughs> that's, that's what that was. Puke that was in my great. Yeah. Well, I mean, nobody misuses the term engagement more than technology nerds yeah, right absolutely so they they that is their i don't know that's their hammer that they go around hammering all the nails in the world with like oh yeah buy all the kids in class and an ipad and they'll be engaged yeah that's for yeah. another episode yeah we'll put that on the yeah planning document all right so i think we we're, we could probably put the curricular continuity to bed i think we've covered I think so for for now We've talked about it. I'm sure it'll come back. It'll come back around. It seems, back around. it seems that they all, it all connects here. So what's, uh, uh, what's bringing you joy, Scott? I like, think it's your turn. This, okay. This all right. I, I got it. First. I got, I got a good one. I got a good one. Uh, okay. I'm waiting. So, uh, you know, in this, one of the big things in, you know, our pandemic world right now is biking, right? I see, I can totally freaking stole mine. That's oh no. I, I have an app. It's an app. Oh. Okay. Uh, so biking, you know, I, I will say I, I'm, I, I bike a good bit and I like to go to rails to trails. I'm a big supporter of rails to trails. And so if you are new to biking and you're thinking about like, where do I bike and uh, download trail link, it's an app, it's a rails to trails app. And so what it'll do is take your location and give you, you know, Hey, here's a, a, a a bike trail and rails to trails, especially if you're a, you know, you're biking with a family, you're biking with some kids who maybe are just learning how to bike. Um, they, it'll give you like some information about, okay, this is, you know, most of the rails to trails things don't have like big grades. So what that means is like right. big inclines or, and so yeah. they tend to, because they're old railroad um, tracks uh, where, mm -hmm. you know, they, they pulled off the railroad tracks and converted them into bike trails. Um, and so there, some of them are paved, some of them are cinders, and it kind of gives you all that information. And it gives you, you know, specific locations of where you can park and all that. It's great. So if you're new to biking, if you're one of these people who have just adopted this, maybe you went out and bought a bike because I, I don't see them anywhere. Now, like bikes, you can't buy them in stores. No, you can't buy them. No. Yeah. So if you're one of these folks who were lucky enough to buy a bike and it's like bikes and kayaks were the two big, you know, pandemic purchases 
uh, which is great. You know, I, those are both things that I, I, I enjoy and both things that I would encourage people to go off and do. But if you're new to biking, download Trail Link. It'll give you some real uh, great suggestions of places to bike. Nice. Well, the reason I said you stole that is because that I was I was thinking this week that, you know, we've been talking a lot about media or apps or television or comics or whatever books. Um, and, but I did want to say, like, one of the things that I need to remind myself is bringing me a lot of joy is biking. So for the past about three or four years, um, I've been riding my bike to work every day, all year round. So through the winter, and it's not a long ride for me. It's like three miles from my house to my office. But um, I ride in all weather. And and the weirdest thing for me um, was starting in March, I stopped riding my bike really for a long stretch of time. So, um, and then in June, I, I got on a different app called Strava that does this, you know, it's like a tracture bike ride sort of app. It's, there's lots of apps like it. Um, and did a challenge. And so in June, I rode a whole bunch. And then in July, I sort of fell back off, but I'm starting to get back to it. And I have some people around here that I ride with on the weekends that we go and do gravel, um, gravel rides. And I'm just, I just got to say, being outside, being on a bike um, is really, has really brought me a lot of joy in my life. And, and is, I'm trying to remind myself that. And as I get into the academic year, figure out ways to make sure that I'm still on my bike you know, four or five times a week. So, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll download that app. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. And, and there's some subscription services, like you can sub subscribe so you can download the, the maps and things, but it's awesome. And it gives you, you know, it, you'll be surprised no matter where you live, there are rail trails near you and you'll, you'll be able to find a really cool place to ride. And I, I love, I love places where you can go and see things. And yeah, there's some really good way where in Pennsylvania, there's lots of us, lots of, uh, trails near us so it's awesome yeah so cool that's great well right. there we are episode we six are. and in uh we'll can. see it yeah it, it's in the can and we'll see you uh next week in, in between in between in between all right Thanks. see you then